All right, we are over in Galatians chapter 2. Last time we picked up over at verse, or we left off at verse 10. We saw that Paul was alluding to the conference that seemed that they had in Acts chapter 11. And now we're going to move on to some other areas. He's talking about the some of the uh, confrontations that happened in the early church. Some that would be very well known to them. And in this one, verse 11, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face, because he was to be blamed. Now, exactly when Peter came to Antioch, we don't know. It would seem that after the episode in Acts chapter 11, where they all had had come together, and uh, Paul had come in with Barnabas, and I believe Titus was in with that group, that Peter got curious as to what was going on in the church of Antioch. And it seems that Peter came on his own. Now, Peter doesn't have to be sent by anybody. Peter can go where he wants to. Some other people are sent. Peter just kind of goes. He's kind of has, he has that ranking in the church. He can just kind of go someplace. And so he just went on his own up to Antioch. Well, he's mostly based out of Jerusalem at this point in his ministry. He's mostly based out of Jerusalem. And so James notices that Peter is gone for a long time. Then wonders where he is. You know, why hasn't he come back? Is he still in Antioch? What's going on in Antioch? We've lost some other people up there in Antioch. What's going on with Peter? And so it seems that either James sent some people from uh, Jerusalem church, or some people came from the Jerusalem church, and it's just kind of stated that they came from James because he's the head of the church. Either way, they came from Jerusalem. So let's get back into it. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. I heard some, uh, doing some research on, on some of these things, I saw that there's actually a case that was made that this is not Peter the disciple, that it was someone else. I'm not sure that I buy that. I think that Paul's mentioning someone like Peter. He mentioned him because of his stature in the church, and the only one we know at this point who has stature in the church and is worth mentioning to... Uh, facilitate what it is that he's trying to get across, is the Peter. So I, I don't really buy into that one. But anyway, that's, uh, that theory is out there. That thought, I should say, is, is out there. So he's going to explain what happened. He says, For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. So this happens after Peter gets the vision. He has the vision. Because that's over in the uh, Acts uh, 11 and uh, places like that. He has the vision already. He's already dealt with the, this, this question. The church has already dealt with it. Peter comes and he gets the report of all the stuff that had gone on and, and so forth. Um, but somehow he, Peter comes up on his own and he's, he's just hanging out with the Gentiles. It's most, there are Jews in the, in the city too, but it's, there's, there's a lot of Gentiles because it's a Gentile city. And so he's already been in Gentile homes and, and so forth. And, and so he's hanging out with the Gentiles and eating the Gentile food. Because that's what you probably do out there. He's already gone through the food issue. So he's not having a problem with this. But before certain men came from James or Jerusalem, you can say either way, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separate himself. Now, you remember in his conversation he had after the vision... He says, you know, that it's not lawful for a Jew to even 
eat with or associate with a Gentile. But God showed me this vision and he went on about those kind of things. Now, of course, it's not unlawful as far as the word of God is concerned, but it was unlawful as far as the Jews were concerned. So before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. This is the scenario of what you have. Peter comes in. He fellowships with the folks in the church, the believers, Gentiles and Jews. And they all kind of mix together and eat. They may also be eating some of the, the foods that they have. It doesn't really specifically mention. just says they ate with them. But then, and, and this was just normal. Now, all of a sudden, you know, you, you're one of the Gentiles. Peter's coming to the table. Every day, Peter comes to the table, and we all eat together. And then all of a sudden, Peter's not here. And the next day, Peter's still not here. And the day after that, Peter's still not here. Suddenly, Peter doesn't want anything to do with him. At least not at the dinner time, dinner table. He's withdrawing himself. He's not, maybe he was staying with one of the, the Gentile families that was there because he did that before. But maybe he decides that's not something we can do now. And maybe he's moved over to one of the uh, Jewish uh, families. We don't know. It doesn't give us those details. What we do know is that when Peter came to the city, he adopted a type of behavior that he was comfortable with, Paul was comfortable with, Barnabas was comfortable with, the Gentiles were comfortable with, and the Jews of the city were comfortable with. But then all of a sudden, some people come from Jerusalem and disrupt the whole thing. And Peter, who was comfortable with whatever it was he was doing, is now uncomfortable. And Paul saw this. So when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. Now, he's not just calling them Jews here. He is saying those who are of the circumcision. In other words, those who are, we are the circumcised. We are the, we have the, the seal. We are the people of God. Well, they had these people that tells you, these, these folks came in and they, they, they bullied them. They, they did something. They said something that got Peter off, off uh, base here. And Peter's no slouch. Peter knows the word. Peter had the vision. And whatever these guys said got to Peter... And got him to alter his behavior. That's, that's astounding, isn't it? Peter alters his behavior. One of the pillars of the church changes what he does because these guys came in. Obviously, they didn't just come in and show up. They said some things. There was some talk going on. You're not, you're not going to eat with them, are you? Those folks? Gentiles? Peter, what's happened to you? Well, he was that way in Jerusalem. They had the big conversation. They had the big meeting. And it was okay. But even though Peter knows it's okay, even though God's put his blessing on it, he's got a hard time with this because these people are coming in and they're, they're saying this. But they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. He is fearing. This is the reason. He gives the reason why. It's because he was afraid of these folks. Peter, afraid of these guys. Peter, who was bold. Acts chapter 3. Peter, who had the great sermon when he came out of the upper room. Peter, who stands before the Pharisees. Should we obey God? 
Or should we obey you? <laughs> Peter. That Peter. Peter who was imprisoned. And God comes and shakes the place and he gets out. That Peter. Peter is afraid because of what some of these guys said. And how he was going to be impressed by them. Now it's not just Peter. Verse 13, and the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him. So that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. Barnabas, Peter, are pulled in by whom? We don't even know who they are. Certain guys. We know who Peter is. We know who Barnabas is. We don't know who they are. I feel like the sons of Sceva in that story. (laughs) Paul I know. Jesus I know. I don't know you. (laughs) I know Barnabas. I know Peter. I don't know who these guys are. But these guys come in and they shake these guys up. So that Barnabas... Now remember, there was a split between Barnabas and Paul after this account. It's not before. It's after this account. Paul and Barnabas had returned from their first missionary journey. That's when they had all the councils and all the things that had gone on. Paul and Barnabas are still here in the, in the, um, in the church. They haven't gone out on their second uh, missionary journey just yet. This is before that, after the first one, before the second one. So this is when this is all going on. We know that the split between Barnabas and uh, Paul is told us by the book of Acts to be over John Mark. But is it possible that this division right here caused something in it as well? Is it not just Paul getting upset about who he wants to take, but because Barnabas was pulled into this type of doctrine, that Paul was a little shaky on taking Barnabas out? I don't know. I think it may have had something to do with it. If Paul's thinking, Barnabas, if you could get pulled in by these guys, what else can you get pulled into? And he doesn't, he doesn't go out with them again. He goes out with Silas. And um, I don't know. It's uh, just one of those things we have to, have to wonder about. Did it have anything to do with it? Because Paul's saying, even Barnabas, even Barnabas is pulled into this. So that Barnabas, who was fellowshipping with the Gentiles over dinner, over meals, longer than Peter. And in all the missionary journey trips that they took, Barnabas had to eat with Gentiles. Because when he went into the place, there was a synagogue there, but there weren't a whole lot of Jews. And their purpose was to set up a church in the Gentile cities, the Gentile places. They had to have fellowship with Gentiles. So on the first missionary journey, all the places they went to, Barnabas has no problem fellowship with the Gentiles. He comes back to Antioch, has no problem fellowshipping the Gentiles. Peter gets pulled into this. Apparently, Peter got pulled into it first. The rest of the Jews followed. And so did Barnabas. Now, that shows you Peter's pretty influential. Wherever he goes, Peter, is, he's new in this city. We don't know if he's been there a couple of weeks. He's been there a couple of months. We don't know how long he's been there. But Peter already has that much influence on the people in the city, the Jews anyway. That when he goes in a direction, they followed him. Even Barnabas. Boy, that's amazing. Now, Paul is not. Paul has not been moved in this. He has stayed with it. 
Now think about these kind of situations that, that Paul's in here, that these, these folks in the Galatian saints are, are in. How many ministers do we see in today's society who are pulled into doctrines because of the pressure, because of the fear of the people around them? Well, we can't preach against homosexuality, even though the Bible says these things, because people will think we're this way. We can't say anything about marriage between a man and a man or a woman and a woman because people will think of us this way. And because of fear, they begin to alter what it is that they teach. I've even heard ministers, supposedly ministers in the church. you, You probably heard some of these things too. Is Jesus the only way to get to heaven? And some of them will come out and said what? Well, I'm not going to say he's the only way. Really? Jesus said it. Why can't we say it with him? Hmm. In Acts chapter 15, verse 1, And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Again, we're not uh, told who they are. We're just told that certain men. It would seem that that would be very similar controversy to what it is that we have going on here. So the Jews, Peter and Barnabas, are all pulled away. Who does Paul confront? Peter. Peter. Doesn't confront Barnabas or the other Jews. He confronts Peter. When these guys came in, they focused on Peter. If you can get Peter, you can get the rest of them. And they got Peter, and the rest of them followed we got leaders in the church, folks. You need to be praying for them. Because as the pressure gets on them to go in a wrong direction, they take others with them. They take others with them. Standing for the Word is a hard thing to do. It's, it's, it's a hard thing to do. But we've got to stand for it. You know, you hear those people, well, I don't feel like, it don't matter what you feel. Well, I don't think God would, I don't, don't matter what you think. What does the Word say? If the word says God will do this, then God will do it. Well, I don't think God will send any. Uh, I don't think a loving God would send anyone to hell. Well, the Bible says contrary to that. That's what it says. So after Peter had been there for a while and established a pattern of behavior, this is when these groups of people came. This is the things that they did. So the reason given here for this change is fear. Now, here's a side note for you to think on. What can cause us to change our behavior from something good to something bad? Have you ever seen people who have a good behavior, a good pattern of behavior, and have changed it to something bad? You know, how many times have you seen someone, they're in church on a regular basis, then all of a sudden they're not in church on a regular basis, and then they're not in church at all? What caused that? Do you know people who believed in Jesus Christ as the way? And now, well, not so sure that he's the only way. And you can go on list of a number of other things. Jesus as the healer, faith in God, faith in his word, all these things. We know people who have believed it, but now all of a sudden, they've changed. What can get us to change from something good to something bad? I put four things under these next two things. You could probably come up with more. But I just got four. I, I thought of some others, but they all seem to fit under these four things. But again, I'm not trying to say this is, ex, this is exhaustive. This is all of them. You can probably put your thought to it and come up with some other ones. So you've got plenty of space there. If you come up with some other ones, just write them in there. First one. Well, he gave it to us, the first one, fear. That's the first one. That's in the Word. <laughs> because of fear, P, 
Peter changed. So fear, we know, we have a fear. Fear, I'm not going to get something. Fear, I'm going to lose something. Fear, people won't like me. We have all kinds of fears that can come up. And a fear starts out as a thought. A thought comes in, this could happen. And a fear comes in. All fear starts out as a thought. If you are afraid of heights, you have the thought that you could fall. You have the thought of what happens when you get to the bottom. All those things come through your, through your, your thinking. Whatever it might be. If you have a fear of the ocean. Well, you envision, you have a thought of when you go out in that ocean, what's going to come get you? What could possibly happen to you about the waves and all the different things? You have a, a, a fear of these kind of things going on. If you have a fear of mice, why, why is that? Because I think about all the things that mice could possibly do to me. They've never done it. But I think about all the things that they could do. Most times we have fear, it's based on a thought. Once in a while, you know, we've actually had something happen, and that fear just continues to linger from that. But a lot of times it's just because of a thought. Bringing every thought into captivity. So the Word of God tells us. But anyway, fear. That's the thing that can, can change us. Here's another one. Pressure. Have you ever felt pressure to do something? Pressure. I've got to change. You've got to make this decision now. Make this, you've got to do this now. I keep talking about uh, the government and the pressure situations that they keep making. You know, all the crisis things. How many, this thing that's going on the border. You know, first off, the president wanted $1.9 million or billion dollars to fix some. And when the Congress looked like they were going to go with that, he jumped into $3.7 billion. But no one broke it down. It's an emergency. We've got to do this. We've got to do it now. Do you know out of the $3.7 billion requested by the president to deal with the situation on the border, $25 million would be used between now and the end of the year? $25 million would be used between now and the end of the year, but we need 3.7 billion. Why? It's, it's, when, it's all stipulated out. When they have the bill, we want 3.7. It's, it's stipulated when we need it, what we're going to do with it, but don't, they don't check that. Somebody did, and I, I heard them read over the different things that were there. It's crisis. If you get a crisis, if you get us to act, then we, we do things. We do things we probably shouldn't have done. How many times have we thought, if I don't do this now, I may not be able to do it? Crisis, urgency, you know, the info commercials. The next 30 people who call this number. <laughs> Isn't it great how you're always one of the next 30 whenever you call? Even if you wait till tomorrow. You're still in the... Yeah, they show the next thing. They're the next 30 people. Yeah, because we've got to create an urgency. Because in a place where there is an urgency, you will make a decision that is probably not good. Most times we have made a decision to go from something good to something bad. We were, it was urgent. We had to make it. You're going out to buy a house. We got three, three other people putting offers on this tonight. You've got to put it in now. Right? Urgent. It's got to be done now. You want to buy that car? I just had somebody here this morning. They're coming back tonight to get that car. Either you make the decision now or it probably won't be here tomorrow. Right? Urgent. Pressure. Pressure comes in. It gets us to change generally from something good to something bad. But the Spirit of God works on us. He'll let us know. Is it urgent? No. Yeah, it's not urgent. It's, it's okay. There's a third one. Desire. 
I want that. We create our own urgency. No one's created it for us. I, I want that. If I don't get it now, I probably won't have it. Desire. I have an urgency that comes up. I have a desire. I, I, I want that. I want that. I am going to get it. And we um, break all kinds of things to get there. Desire can take us from something good to something bad. You can do it. Here's the fourth one that I put in here is guilt. How many have ever done something because you felt guilty for not doing it? Inside, you're telling yourself, I probably shouldn't ought to do that. But you feel guilty. Or somebody makes you feel guilty. Or somebody pushes all the right buttons or says all the right things. You know, he, uh, somebody needs some money. I need some money. You got some money. Can you loan me some money? You're feeling inside, it's not going to help them to loan the money. But that person says, I've never asked you for anything before. You've helped other people. If you don't help me, that you know, they, they guilt you into it. Fear, pressure, desire, guilt. There's four things. You can probably ponder it and come up with some more. But these things generally take us from something good into something bad. For Peter here, he went from something good, he was benefiting the, the Gentiles, into something bad. Barnabas went from something good into something bad. These are the things. Well, I put this in here too. How about going from something bad to something good? We can all think about those kind of times, right? Haven't we left something bad, something that was hurting us, and we got into something good? Maybe you had a habit that was no good for you. And you went from a bad habit, and you changed it into something good. Maybe it was, um, you know, you, you had a desire to, to change a diet, change uh, uh, exercise, change um, uh, jobs, whatever it might be. You went from something bad or not as good to something better, good, whatever it might be. You made a, a positive change. When you got born again, you went from something bad to something that was good. Well, something motivated you. Something got you out of the bad and into the good. When you learned that Jesus was your healer, you went from something not as good, Jesus just as your Savior. I mean, that's good, but it's not as good as knowing Jesus is your Savior and your healer. That's even better. Then you found out Jesus is my Savior, my healer, and my provider. Oh, man, that's even better. This is good. Well, you got from something here to something here. So what, what is it that motivated you? What did you got? So I poured down, again, four things. It's not exhaustive. You could probably add other things to it if you think about it. First one, love. Well, fear can get us to go from something bad or something good to something bad. And perfect love casts out all fear. Isn't it a love for God that has brought us from bad things in our life into good things? It's that love of His Word. And as we love his word. I take delight in your word. And that's that love for his word. We get his word into us. And the bad stuff goes out. Because the good stuff is coming in. How many have had uh, lot times in your life when you had all those bad songs going around your head? You got born again. You got into good songs going around in your head. That's a whole lot better, right? You walk into some of those places, some of those establishments, and they have that blaring heathen type music i mean they're just talking about heathenistic things and and doing things that are against the word of god and you you walk in as a born-again believer 
And you think, oh, this is disturbing. Oh, I don't, I don't like this. But before, if you had a days before Christ and you would go into those places, you didn't notice it as much. You're going into something better. Love does that. Here's the second one, wisdom. Now, wisdom, as we know, the wisdom of God contains understanding and knowledge. Contains all those the discernment, knowledge, understanding. It's all contained inside the wisdom of God. So I just put wisdom in there. Hasn't wisdom taken you from something not as good, something bad, even detrimental, into something good? The wisdom of God came down. He spoke wisdom to us and said, do it this way. And we did it that way. And, oh, that's better. <laughs> that was good. That was a whole lot better than the way I was doing it. Wisdom will take us from something bad to something good. There's a third one, same one as before, desire. You can have a desire for things of the world, which will take you from something good to something bad. Or you can have a desire for the things of God, which will take you from something bad to something good. There's the fourth one, belief. Belief. Now, you can also put that probably up in the other one, but I put it down in here because we're looking at belief as in a positive way. Believing the things of God. Believing the things that are in His Word. I could doubt the things that are in His Word, or I can believe the things that are in His Word. If I believe them, have faith in them, and act on them, it can change something bad to something good. The woman with the issue of blood had a belief. If I just touch the hem of His garment, I know I shall be made whole. And she went from something bad to something good. Blind Bartimaeus had a belief. And he went from something bad to something good. There's probably some other things you can put in there. But there's a starter for you to think about. What takes us from something bad to something good? And really, they are different. Since they are different, we can recognize whether something is going to take us from something good to something bad or from something bad to something good. What we've got to do is figure out what's the motivation. What is it that's pulling me? Is it pressure? Is it fear? Is it desire for things of the world? Is it guilt? Well, if it's those kind of things, it's probably not going to take me in a good direction. But if it's love, wisdom, desire for godly things, belief, faith, well, this is, this is probably good. It's probably taking me in the right direction. And we can identify. Before we ever make the move, we can identify it. That sure would help us out, right? Verse 14. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. To me, that's a mouthful right there. They were not straightforward. There's a truth of the gospel. You can be straightforward with the truth or you can bend it. You can alter it. You can do other things with the truth of the gospel. We've got to understand, are people being truthful, being straightforward with what is in the gospel? Are they, are they doing that? Or are they taking what is in there and twisting it a little bit and making you go in the wrong direction? No, don't do it. Peter did it. Peter, Paul says, was not being straightforward with the truth of the gospel. Now, does Peter get offended at this? Doesn't seem to. It also seems from history that both Peter and Paul ministered in Rome at the end of their days. And they're both, their deaths were not far apart. Doesn't Peter write in his, in his epistle about the wisdom that is found in Paul's writings? 
Does it sound like a guy who's offended? To me, it sounds like a guy who says, yeah, you're right, I did the wrong thing. And he changed it. Good for Peter. So they weren't being straightforward about the truth of the gospel. Just because somebody preaches the gospel doesn't mean they're being straightforward about its truth. You've got to find out. Are they, are they doing that? I said to Peter, before them all, they're all involved, but he's addressing Peter. He's going to address that one. I, I look at it this way. How many have ever been bowling? Yeah. What happens if you hit the head pin? You know, I know I have to be slightly off center, but you still got to hit that head pin with the ball. What happens then generally? You get the rest of them to go down, right? But you got to get the you got to get the head one. Peter's where they started at. We got to take care of this. If you take care of that, if you rebuke Peter in front of them all, then they can all, say, you know what? That's me too. I, I was doing it. And they can all become corrected. So he does this to Peter before them all. If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? Seems straightforward enough. Peter, you're a Jew. Why you been over here? You've been living like a Gentile. And that was okay. Not, he's not saying he's living like a sinner. He's not saying that at all. He said you lived among the Gentiles. You ate with the Gentiles. You, you fellowship with the Gentiles. The Gentiles were not a problem. But now, all of a sudden, it's a problem. If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? It's a straightforward, straightforward question for them. Wasn't a real long rebuke. Didn't need to be. And Peter received it, apparently, and straightened up. Now, I put in your outline, all the Jews were guilty, so the confrontation of Peter was for the benefit of all, not the disgrace of Peter. Remember, love covers a multitude of sins. God is not about exposure. He's about bringing things. To, he, he wants people to be restored. But Peter had brought a lot of folks into this. And so the restoration, in order for it to occur, had to be occur in front of everybody. If it was just Peter, Paul would have dealt with Peter by himself. But it wasn't just Peter. It affected a lot of other people. And so he did it in front. God's not out to disgrace people. Paul was not out to disgrace Peter. Paul was out to benefit all. And this is the best way to, to begin to do it. Verse 15. Who are Jews by nature... Or we, we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles. What he's saying is we, we were born Jews. We were born of the seed of Abraham. We were not born as the Gentiles were born. We were born into Abraham's family. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, Peter would agree with that. Others would agree with that. I put in your outline this. There are two groups who follow Paul around. The first group are those who teach salvation through law. That the way that you get born again is by keeping the law. That's one group that would follow Paul around. Paul didn't teach you the way of salvation. This is the way of salvation. Second group was a little tougher to deal with, but Paul still dealt with them. And that is that there's, you gain spirituality through the law. Salvation through law and spirituality through law. You become spiritual, become perfected. You become to a place of, of growing spiritually through the law or through keeping the law. So this is the argument he's really dealing with here is this second group 
that you become, all right, you got saved by faith, but you become spiritual through the law. That's what they're trying to teach these folks. You got saved by faith, but you become spiritual through the law. So the law couldn't get you to the place of salvation, but the law, by us keeping the law, we become perfected. We become spiritual. That's what he's dealing with. These are the two groups who follow him around and try and uh, undermine everything, everything he does. So right here he's addressing the second one. Now in uh, James chapter 1, verse 22, But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. He observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But when he looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If any one of you thinks he is religious, does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one religion is useless. The law acts as a mirror. The law was never able to save anyone. We all know that. But the law simply pointed us to the fact that you needed a Savior. The law didn't make you sin. You were sinning before the law. You sinned after the law. If the law said don't do it, you might want to do it more. But you were still sinning before the law came. You sinned because of the first Adam we took after his pattern. But basically what the law was is a mirror. And the law just says, hey, you're messed up. When you wake up in the morning, you get up, you go into the bathroom, you look in the mirror, you say, I need work. You've been sleeping, hair got messed up, you got to put your hair in order, got to put your, whatever you got to do, you got to, you go to the mirror, you take a look, how am I, how am I doing? And the mirror did not mess you up, did not make you look funny. The mirror is just telling you, you're not quite right. If you go and you put your clothes on, you go into the mirror to see how they look, Right? You look in there, you say, all right, does it look all right? Is everything in place? And if it is, you go away from the mirror, and, and that's it. Sometimes you go away from the mirror, and something happens. Something gets out of place, collar gets turned up, something like that. And you don't know it, because the mirror's not in front of you. But if you come back to the mirror, the mirror will tell you, this is out of place. The mirror doesn't do it, but the mirror just tells you, is that you did it. Something you did got it messed up. But the mirror just tells you this is what's going on. That's what the law does. The law is just a mirror. You come up to the law, you look in the mirror and say, oh, man, I'm in bad shape. But the mirror can't fix you. You can't stand in front of the mirror and say, mirror, mirror on the wall. And have the mirror come out and fix you. It won't fix you. The mirror just tells you what's going on. And that's what the law is. The law is just a mirror. It just says, how you doing? All right, I can see it. But we need something else to come along and to, to fix us, to get, to get us right. And that's where Jesus comes along. So Paul is saying this, you couldn't come to the place of salvation by the use of the law, nor can you come to the place of perfection, spirituality, or being made perfect in, in him through the law. Can't do it. Then he has this statement in 17. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. I'm going to paraphrase this for you just so you can uh, get the understanding of what he's trying to do. What he's saying here is this. If you were saved by faith, and then after Jesus did the work on the cross and brought you into a place of salvation, 
does Jesus then point you back to the law and say, go to the law to get perfected? If the law only points out your sin, then Jesus becomes a minister of sin. He brings you to a point of salvation and then points you back to the law. Go back to the law and get perfected. Then Jesus becomes, as Paul is saying here, a minister of sin. And what's Paul's answer to that? Certainly not. That is not Jesus' ministry. Jesus' ministry is not to be a minister of sin. But he is saying if you are trying to become perfected through the law, then you are making Jesus to be a minister of sin. That's a pretty compelling argument. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. Our, our, our bond to the law is it's busted. It's, gross. It, it's, it's destroyed. The law was there. It was given for a time to show people, you need help. You need a Savior. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. When Christ died on the cross, I died on the cross. When Adam sinned in the garden, I sinned in the garden. First Adam, second Adam. First Adam brought us into trouble. Second Adam brought us out. That's what he's basically saying. And the law has nothing to do with that. The law was only given to try and help us out. Now think of it this way. How was Abraham saved? By faith. By faith was Abraham saved. Was Abraham saved through the law? No, the law wasn't even given then, was it? The, ma- the law came through Moses, who was an offspring of Abraham, uh, several centuries later. It was, it was a while. So how did Abraham, how did... Uh, Israel, how did, how did these folks get saved? How did these folks become born again? Now, of course, born again was waiting until Jesus Christ did his work. But how did they, they get that spot where salvation came to their house? Abraham, by faith. Jacob, by faith. Isaac, by faith. All of them. Noah, by faith. It's by faith. It's by faith looking ahead the same way that our faith is in looking behind. They looked ahead to the work of Messiah, not the coming of the law. So he's saying, you want to say you're children of Abraham. Abraham is saved the same way I'm telling you. So why are you coming along and giving a way of salvation that your father Abraham did not follow? I have been crucified with Christ. Well, Paul is saying that about himself. Have you been crucified with Christ? Yeah, but you weren't even born then. But in the same way Abraham was crucified with Christ, even though he was dead before Christ was even here. here. The same way. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law... Then Christ died in vain. In other words, the law was already here. If salvation could come through the law, if perfection could come through the law, then why did Christ come? Why was he sent? There's no reason for him to even have been sent. 
So if you guys want to believe that Jesus Christ, if you were, if you were, and these folks were advertising, we are believers in Jesus. Great. If you believe in Jesus, then you believe he was sent to do something that had not been done yet. And we already had the law. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Now, here's an application you can get from this. How do we change the behavior of those around us? How many of you all have some people in your life that you are trying to alter their behavior? When we are parents, we alter the behavior of children. When we get married, we try and alter the behavior of our spouses. Right? When we're, when we're young children, we try and alter the behavior of our parents, of our friends. <laughs> we're, it seems like we're always trying to alter the behavior of the other people. Uh, if we are mentors to people, we're trying to alter their behavior into a positive way. Altering people's behavior is not a bad thing. I don't want to try and say it to you as a bad thing. It can be a bad thing, but it doesn't have to be a bad thing. God wants to alter our behavior and get our behavior to line up with the Word of God. He has people in the, in the body of Christ to help us with that. He puts people in our lives to help us with that. But how do we change the behavior of those around us? What are the methods that we use? What are the tactics that we, we go after? What pattern? I put this in here. What pattern do you imitate? Do you imitate the pattern of... Fear? How many heard this when you're growing up? And if you use this anytime recently, I'm, I'm, I apologize ahead of time. Just wait till your father gets home. What's that do? It's supposed to put fear in somebody, right? <laughs> we're trying to. Well, if it works, <laughs> right? If it works, we're we're just looking for we're looking for a way of success here. <laughs> How does your boss try and get you to change your? Your behavior. I want that report by Friday. If not, you're fired. Or this or something else is going to happen. What's he trying to use? Fear. He's trying to use fear. When you were in school and your teacher was trying to emphasize the importance of a test. If you fail this test, you're going to be held back the entire next year. What, are they, what motivation are we using? Fear. We, we use fear. What who does that imitate? We're imitating the wrong house. Does God use fear to motivate us? No. So when we use fear to motivate, whose house are we mimicking? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> we shouldn't be doing that sort of stuff, should we? <laughs> we, we? We can't be doing that sort of thing. Now, I don't know about you, but I've had people in my life, you know, I, I, when I was young, I, I like to do stuff that some people would consider dangerous. I didn't consider it dangerous, but some people would have considered it to be a da dangerous thing to do. And if certain people found out ahead of time what I was intending to do, they would come along and say, you could die if you do that. You could get hurt if you do that. You could end up in the hospital if you do that. What are they doing? Trying to put fear into me. But unfortunately, fear could not take root of me because I was excited about the thing I was about to do. So, you know, they couldn't get fear to get hold of me on that. And, uh, and sometimes, how many of you have ever had people in your life that try and take their fears and put them off on you? They're afraid of heights, so we're going to make you afraid of heights. 
And you're like, oh, well, not gonna, you're not going to get it. Not going to get me to do that one. No, 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 no. I don't, I don't have to go that direction. Well, fear is what? How about pressure? Have we ever used pressure to get people to alter their behavior? If you don't do that, I will not do... I will take this away. Right? What are we trying to do? Pressure. Pressure. Even a desire for, for uh, things of the world? Have we ever used a desire for things of the world to move people? <laughs> oh, we have done that too. I've done that myself. <laughs> oh, man. We use a desire for the things of the world because if the people we're trying to help have a desire for the things of the world, all we can see we can get a hold of is something in the world. They don't have a desire for things of God yet. So we're going to use a desire of the things of the world. Will, would God, has God ever done that to you? Has God ever one time come to you and said, this thing you want in the world, you're not going to have it unless you do what I want. <laughs> he doesn't do it. He doesn't use pressure. He doesn't use crisis, emergencies, to get us to go out there and to do things. Now, you might be thinking about Paul on the road to Damascus. You know, there was a, cri- there was a crisis moment there, and God was basically saying, Paul, <laughs> I want you to make a choice. <laughs> and that may be a... You could maybe put that in pressure. I'm going to put that in wisdom. I'm going to put that under wisdom, though. That God was saying, Paul, it's a very wise thing for you right now to not go and do this. I'm going to put it there. But <laughs> Oh, man. But maybe you can make a case for a little bit of pressure. A little bit of pressure going on there. Think of Jesus in the garden. Was Jesus feeling pressure? Did he feel it from God? No. No. Who was it who was trying to alter the behavior of Jesus to get him to do something different at the cross than what he was supposed to do? The enemy. It was not, it was not God. Here's, a, here's the fourth one. You ready for this? Have you ever used guilt to take people whose behavior you are trying to alter, have you ever used guilt to get them to do it? Has God ever used guilt to get us to alter our behavior? The Word of God says, Brethren, if our heart does not condemn us, we have peace before God. Who does the condemning? We do. Not God. God doesn't need to show us guilt. God doesn't need to motivate us by guilt. How does He motivate us? Love. 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 He says, I am so in love with you. I want you, to see how lo- I want you to see all the things that I've done for you. I want you to see this great love that I have. Have you ever had somebody who's done something so outstanding for you because of their love for you that that just motivated you? That's what God does. He doesn't do it through guilt, pressure, fear. He says, child, I have such great love for you that I took the greatest thing I had, my son, I gave him for you. Now, what do you want to do about it? What do you want to do about it? The Word of God says that when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Great act of love, we were still sinners. Wisdom. God drops wisdom down on the inside of us to help alter our behavior. Oh, I see what I should do with that now. Now, I can still not follow it. 
we can follow the same thing. We can drop wisdom down. Unfortunately, we get frustrated more than God does. Have you ever dropped wisdom onto someone and they didn't alter their behavior? <laughs> they, went and they did the same thing they were going to do otherwise. And it got you frustrated. And so what you want to do is go back to fear, pressure, <laughs> desire of worldly things, and guilt. Because you had more success with that. <laughs> right? I gave them your wisdom, God. They didn't do a thing about it. <laughs> what do you think God's going to say? Man, I've given my wisdom out to thousands, hundreds, millions, billions of people. And they've ignored it. I know what you feel like, but I don't change. We don't change either. He gives wisdom. He gives love. If we don't follow it, what's, what happens to us? Okay. It's your choice. He wants us to have a desire for things of God. He wants us to have a belief. And to be motivated that. How, how pleased he was with people who altered their behavior because of a belief. The woman came up to Jesus, pressed through a crowd. Lion Bartimaeus fought off all the naysayers because of a belief. The centurion said, you don't need to come to my house. You just need to say the word because of a belief. And Jesus stood back and said, man, look at that. This man changed his whole behavior because of a belief he has on the inside. Wow. He liked that. That was, that was okay for God. He, he enjoyed that one. Well, these are the things we need to follow. If we follow the wrong pattern, what are we teaching? If we follow the wrong pattern, what are we teaching others to follow? If we follow the wrong pattern, are we not doing the same thing that Peter and Barnabas did? And we go down a road that we shouldn't go. And other people follow us down that road. We lead them down that road. Now, you know what? Give them wisdom. Turn them on into the love of God. There's a whole lot of people, that you turn them on to the love of God, you turn them on to the wisdom of God, you turn them on to a desire for godly things, are going to say, no, I don't care. I don't, I don't care. I think I shared this story with you a long time ago. Um, some time ago anyway, but it was a long time ago for me. It's when we first took over a, a youth group at a church. And uh, took over this youth group, and it was uh, unruly. The board constantly met to fix the things that the youth group broke in the church. Constantly breaking things, doing things that they, sh- they shouldn't have been doing in the church, and walls were broken, doors were broken, chairs were broken. Every week something else was coming up and, and there. And, um, well, along about the youth leader left and they came to me and they said, would you take over the youth group? I took over the youth group. God had already dealt with me on it. And I knew it was okay, so I took over the youth group. And as we came on in, we were, we were only a few months away from an activity that they did every single year, which was they went to the creation festivals. It was camping, tents, um, fire. You, you cooked over a fire. You know, all, it, you, it was that, what, completely rough in it. But it was pretty close to, to that. They did have showers. They, they were not clean. They were muddy. They were cold. But if you needed a shower, you could go down there and you could get a shower. And so this is where we were, were going. Well, words came to me. You know, there were all kinds of things were going on at these, these places. Um, you know, there were, there were people involved in dating relationships, and they were going out on these things. And, well, the behavior was not quite what it should be for a church group. And so I got wind of all these things, and so um, I said, well, 
we'll have to take care of that because I can't go down there and have them do all these kind of things. And so um, we knew this was coming up, and so I went to prayer about it, and we prayed about it, and I wrote up some rules that they were supposed to follow. Three pages of rules. And the punishment for each rule breakage was, was uh, listed. If you break it, any, any rule the first time, this is what will happen. If you break it the second time, this will happen. If you break it the third time, you're on a bus and you're home. And your parents are buying a ticket. Get three strikes, you're out. That's all there was to it. One strike, we, um, um, I, f- I forget exactly how I, I don't even know if I gave them three strikes. I think I gave them two strikes. I think I only gave them two strikes. I did. I only gave them two strikes. I can't remember anything else. If, if they broke any one rule, they were handcuffed to one of our counselors. And they could go nowhere unless that counselor knew. If I ever saw that counselor and that person was not with them, I would say, where are they? And if they did not know, that person was on a bus on the way home. And I conducted myself in such a way that they knew I meant it, that I would, <laughs> I would send them on home. And so we gave them three pages of, of rules, one whole page no, it wasn't, no, it wasn't at that time. But anyway, the, the rule for dating was this. There will be no public or private displays of affection. That was the, that was the rule there. Now, no guys or girls will go off with each other by themselves. Ever. If you are ever found in a place, guy and girl, by yourselves, that's one. And so uh, that's what we did. That's what we had. Well, this stirred mutiny in the youth group. We only had 25 or 30 kids in the, in the group to begin with. It stirred a mutiny in there. And so half of them rose up and said, we're going to go on our own. We're going to put our own group together. We're going to get our own transportation. We're going to get our own food. And we're going to go on our own. So you know what I said? Have fun. I said, but you will not come near our campground. You will not fellowship with our folks. And you will not eat our food. But you can go. Go ahead. So they went off and they made their plans. Found out how hard it was to actually get all the plans, get the bus, get the tents, get all the different things. And so after a while, we had a come together moment. And so we all went together. And they all, they had to sign the rules. You had to sign your name on the, and I had a copy of every rule and every, every person, did you sign this? Is this what you, you signed this? One person did break the rule. Did I ever tell you that story? One person did break the rule. We chained her to the counselor, the one that she was close to, and she was chained. I said, if, if ever, ever I see you not in the same place where she is, you're on the way home. And she's crying. She's bawling. Her, uh, also, I'm not. I'm not moved. I don't care how often you cry. You cry all you want to. I don't care. You broke the rule. And so she cried and she cried and she cried. And we got past all that. And, you know, it's your problem. You got to watch her, and and she did. She watched her. She she kept an eye on her. And but the, this person that actually said to, to him later, she said after she was done crying with me in front of her, she said, "I wish my dad would love me like that." Totally shocked me. I had no idea anybody would ever say anything like that. But anyway, that's the only person who ever broke the rule. No one else ever did. They saw that they did it. This is what would happen. And so uh, that, that was the thing we did. But anyway, this is what we did on the on the rules. Was, was this. Well, that was after a whole year we had them. We were able to teach them the word. They're absorbing the word. They're changing their behavior. So the second year we're going out to creation, I changed that rule. And I told them, I said, all right, you guys have shown me some things. So this is what we're going to do. You guys are a couple. 
You've been a couple. Um, I, I, you still don't go off by yourself. No one's off by themselves. I'm going to know where you are. But if you want to hold each other's hand, that's fine. Softened a little bit yeah, on, that, on that thing. And so uh, we progressed and we taught them for another year. And we, we came on back. I think the last year we did it, I, gave the, I turned that one rule into a whole page. It was a whole page. And I said, guys, you have been taught the word. You have the word on the inside of you. If it doesn't alter your behavior now, whatever rule I put on you is not going to help you. It needs to change your, your way. And so we gave them a lot more freedom than that area. And I never had one bit of trouble with anybody doing anything they shouldn't have been doing. Because you see, what you have to do is you can't motivate them through guilt, pressure, fear. You have to motivate them with a love of God, a love of his word, a desire for greater things. And if you can instill that into the people, then they will change on their own. And those are the lasting changes. When we look back on that, I thought, man, it looks like I was so wise. And I had no idea what I was doing. No idea. I didn't know what I was doing until afterwards. A year or two afterwards, I didn't even see what happened. And God showed me the progress of what we had done in there. I just went to God each year and I said, what should we do for these rules? And each year he would help me write them and we would pass them on out to the kids. And They only had to revolt that one year. That was it. After that, they were all okay. So we had a good time. The temptation is to go the way of the world and use the pressure, the fear, the guilt, all the different things that that people do. It's hard to go the way that God does. That's the way of giving wisdom, demonstrating love, building beliefs to alter behavior from within. When you do it this way, the people that you're trying to change will make mistakes and will make bad choices. Your desire is to protect them from it. If God doesn't try and protect us from bad choices, should we for those we're trying to help. When they're, when I'm talking about when the kids are little. When kids are little, you don't let them make all their own choices. But as they grow up, you need to turn them free. They need to have that opportunity to, to grow. People that you're mentoring, they started out young spiritually, but they're growing. You need to give them that freedom. What's in your spirit to do? What is God telling you to do? I don't know. I wouldn't make a move until you found out. I'd find out what the Spirit of God is telling you to do. And then make the move. Yeah, but i got to make it now. Talk to him about the urgency, how people make decisions based on urgency. Take him back over to Saul. Saul felt pressure. There's an urgency. Made the wrong decision. Most times people make decisions out of crisis, urgency, pressure. They're going to make the wrong one. Teach them how to Pressure-proof themselves. Don't give in to pressure. God won't lead you in pressure. God will lead you by His Spirit. If you didn't know ahead of time that you needed to make this move, you probably don't need to make it. You're probably okay. Teach them to trust in God. Teach them these kind of things. And the end result will be a lot better. So here's the final question. Whose pattern do you emulate? Whose pattern do you follow? Following God is a hard pattern. <laughs> it's tough. Oh, I'll tell you what, it's tough. I know I've messed up on that more times 
then I've hit it. I know that. I've given in to pressure, guilt, had people to try and use that as a motivating thing. Ain't going to help us. We have to sometimes step back and let people make a wrong decision. Just like God lets us make a wrong decision. And then be there to help them pick up the pieces. Once you do all these things, how do you know when to let go and what to do? Listen to your spirit. God will tell you. God will let you know. Let them make that decision. No, you need to help them out on this one. The spirit of God is in you. He'll help you. But don't follow the wrong pattern. Stay on the right one. Same problem the Galatian saints are facing. The same one we do. We go after a law. Because if I give the people that are close to me a law, a thou shalt and a thou shalt not, and use whatever means possible to motivate them to do it, I like the results better. (laughs) You might for a little while. But God does it this way for a reason. And his wisdom is better, his or ours. We've got to find out why he does it this way. Father, we thank you for the example you give us in your word, the help that you give us. There may be times that we run into people, as Paul did with Peter, and a kind of confrontation like this is necessary. So at times, Father, we need to follow a different pattern, pattern of wisdom, pattern of love, bringing them along the way that they should go to make the right decision. Thank you, Father, that you help us, you equip us, you help us to see what it is that we need to do so that our decisions are the right ones and that we help those that are around us and we don't steer them in a wrong direction. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.